Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for the Financial Hour. Joining us, Darsh Mashru, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So this, we're going to have a little more in-depth talk about the music of Jeff Jeff Beck in the next hour, Uh, but this is uh, when he and Rod Stewart were together. Was this considered the Jeff Beck group at that time? Pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, Rod Stewart credits Jeff Beck with for bringing him to America. That's what that's what he says about. So, the, you know, like I say, a lot of his music wasn't as easy to listen to, but he certainly had an effect on lots of people's careers. Well, and it, you listen, listen like the first twenty seconds of that song, the notes. It catches your attention, yeah. Just like that, because you're like, is that almost out of pitch? Like it's it, sort of tremolo-ish. He's right on the verge of being out of pitch, almost. Kind of, and it, but it catches your attention, and then that's his bam, trademark. You, you, like he's got you. Yeah, that's his trademark. And of course, Rod Stewart has the most detectable voice outside of, I guess, Joe Cocker or somebody uh, the, in 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 music. All right. Now, we have spoken a lot about a company called Blackstone. <clears throat> and, and, and something you need to understand, and, and most people won't, is that Blackstone and BlackRock are two different companies. Blackstone is a sort of an alternative investment manager. BlackRock is a very conventional asset manager. Blackstone manages money for kind of a specific niche, typically institutional investors. BlackRock manages money for all kinds of people. They're different different types of companies. Um, Schwartzman, Steve Schwartzman is the is the head of the uh, of Blackstone. And he's really one of the founders, he and Pete Peterson. Um they have come under tremendous pressure recently uh, because of uh, a REIT that's a it's basically an it's it's a it's a fund for big investors mainly big time individuals but now you've got some institutional investors that are getting into it and everybody was trying to jump ship about 3 months ago but now it's outperforming the market, and I think you're going to see the other thing go. 
people that we're trying to get out of it are going to not only stay in, they're probably going to put more money in. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's seeming to start working. The thing that really turned the corner was the University of California endowment group came to Blackstone and said, you know, I know you've been having trouble with this refund, but we've done our research. We want to put $4 billion into it. Well, that got everybody's attention. Now, they probably had certain terms that the average investor doesn't get, and I'm not sure what they were, but, uh, you know, let's just say they sort of carved out a Warren Buffett-type investment for themselves. But they um, put a stamp of approval kind of on the – program and now you know the sentiment's turning the stock in blackstone itself has gone from 73 dollars back to 84 it's funny how like one or two things can make a change but anyway this article in barons talks about how they seem to have turned the corner the thing i would like to illustrate from that is that sometimes a matter of perception only can change the whole way of markets trading can do it on anything. And in markets like these, where we don't have a lot of substantial stuff except what the Fed's doing, perception can be very powerful. Right, that's absolutely true. And I think in the case of this fund, uh, which was their uh, Blackstone Real Estate Fund, uh, BREIT, that's what they called it. Uh, Well, that's what it's still called. I think the issue was one of um, liquidity where, you know, we know that a lot of things dropped in the market last year, stocks dropped, bonds dropped, so I, I, and interest rates went up. So there were a lot of investors who were trying to raise cash in that environment, and that's why, you know, they started withdrawing money. Um, and with investments which are not as liquid, uh you know, there, there can be a, a scramble sometimes because people are afraid that, you know, if they don't... Sort of a run on the bank. Yes. Mm-hmm. If they don't get their money out, then it might be too late. So I think we saw something of that sort happen. But it, it turns out that the fund itself seems to have been doing okay. Uh, it was up 8% through November of last year. I guess that's when they last reported. Uh, and uh, Schwartzman uh, talked about how the fund did well because of their investments in warehouses and apartment complexes, which both have tailwinds behind them. When do they report? Their yeah, their earnings and, and so did they report at the end of the year? Or? Uh, they're yeah, they should be reporting soon. Okay, earnings season just started, so I think it would be sometime this month or early next month. Uh, banks just started reporting, uh, so I, I think we'll hear more about this fund, but. Uh, this was really a, it wasn't, um, you know, a default issue. It wasn't that a lot of their properties uh, were, you know. It was a vacant. yield issue. You know, they, yes. People thought they could do better elsewhere and they wanted to get their money out quickly. Right. And that wasn't the way the thing was set up. Right. So there were restrictions on how much people could withdraw. Or, or it could have even been, uh, you know, margin calls on people that had money tied up in it from other yeah, right. And they had to get capital from someplace, and they were just trying to get whatever they could. 
Um, but that's but that, that's exactly what a lot and of that's were. just what that's what caused the you know the stampede and there's only one door out but and it's 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 very clear it's not like they changed the rules i mean the rules were spelled out you know redemptions you know they have the right to prorate redemptions or slow that so because the the idea there is they don't have to liquidate these physical properties sell them at you know right. low prices um and so <clears throat> blackstone they did what they were supposed to do and what they could do legally um but you had a lot of people complaining like well they you know they're prorating the redemptions and it was like well no they're allowed to do that yeah um that's why yeah, have, they're supposed to do that they're supposed to do that um they're expected to report earnings next week. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, liquidity is, we saw some of this during the financial crisis where, you know, there's um, there's a balance sheet problem and then there's a... Um, Getting your of, money problem. <laughs> uh Default problem. Basically, you know, the, either assets are bad or assets are good, but there's a lack lack of liquidity, and hence, you know, you need to yeah. sell those assets. So this seems yeah, to be a that's, case. Yeah, that's that. right. Well, and and cases that we saw during the financial crisis. So let, let's say Blackstone didn't have those the redemption rights that they had, um, and they had fifty percent, you know, like an open end fund, essentially liquidate an illiquid asset. Blackstone would be forced to liquidate at distressed prices, which you saw a lot of publicly traded securities, you know, be it uh, closed-end funds, open-end funds, especially closed-end funds that had leverage on top of it. They were forced to liquidate. Well, Blackstone, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They didn't have to liquidate. They still own those same things. It's almost more like having a closed-end fund that doesn't have to liquidate. Yeah. and you you put those restrictions on investors in many ways for their own protection, right? So they won't pull all their money out when something gets ugly yeah. and end up wishing they hadn't. Now the flip side of this, and this I mean, because we're we're talking about one very specific that was issued by Blackstone. There are hundreds of private placement REITs out there, or private placement investment vehicles that are are blackstone well you, what 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 they were doing you got was a whole right. world of private equity that's well, illiquid yeah, yeah. Uh, but some of them that are catered to the retail investor be careful of them because a lot of times those are sold as hey this this has all the pros of a, a b reit type thing but they own crap I mean, uh, to put it, I mean, to not to put a too fine a point on it, they 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 don't own good assets. Yeah. And I mean, those assets when they do reprice, they might reprice to fifty percent of where where it was when you yeah. bought it, and and that may even be optimistic. Um, it, maybe those assets aren't. Worth I gotta anything. tell this story. <laughs> this was from the '80s, so everybody who was involved in it is gone or whatever. But I was with a firm, and there were a lot of salesmen there, and they were doing pretty well, making quite a bit of money. And back then, in the 80s, they had these um, partnerships that were real estate things, and somehow the tax laws enabled you to just have 
a huge amount of write-offs. You could you could put in $50,000 and get $100,000 worth of write-offs that year. I mean, you basically got all your money back in tax savings before you'd ever gotten anything. So anyway, this guy, let's just call him Bob, that uh, worked. He was kind of a big talker and everything. He put, I think, $50,000, which is a lot of money back then, you know, into one of these deals. And he said, you know, he said, uh, my, uh, one of the properties in this fund I bought into is in, 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 uh, uh, Kansas city. He said, I'm going to be going up there. He said, I'm going to go take a look at it, you know? So he goes to the place where the thing is, and it's an empty lot in not a very good part of town fraud. And. Here's where he made his mistake. He reported it. <laughs> and here's why. He uh, you know, he said, Dude, this thing's fraudulent, you know, and and so the IRS says, Oh, well, you gotta pay back the taxes that you fraudulently got out of. Wow. And penalties and interest. He got in some deep financial stuff. Wow. I mean, it, it wasn't it, like he had saved forty or fifty thousand in taxes. That all had to be paid. But he takes a loss, and he can't write it off because it's fraud. If you take a loss on something fraudulent, it's not the same as selling something for a loss. It, it's 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 not it's not something you can write off. So he couldn't write that off, and he has to pay back the taxes with penalties and interest and it was it was ugly so that's an extreme case but the 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 point is real estate by its nature is subject to illiquidity you can't get it sold that fast and so when you put it into a security By its nature, that security is going to trade at times out of line with the underlying asset. It'll either be overpriced or underpriced. The B-REIT thing, when it's a private REIT, similar to other people we know that do these, like Heinz or people, they have to kind of keep the price right at NAV, and and therefore you don't get these major dislocations in the market. Mm Mm-hmm you do with publicly traded REITs. Right, right. We like to try to take advantage of those dislocations if we can. Right. Buy when they're cheap. And that's 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 part of it that cuts both ways. Because uh, if you're in a, a private REIT, well, it's 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 not daily mark to market, um, the which can help you sleep better yeah. when everything else is going down. But it'll reprice at some point and... You can't take advantage of the volatility in some of these other things, um, so it, it cuts both ways. Uh, but with the private REITs or just private placement vehicles, uh, do be careful of them because a lot of them aren't required to report certain things, and some of them could be fraudulent, and some of them could be and are. There was actually uh, uh, an article uh, Jason Zweig did one, and it was a, a private placement. Uh, this guy, as farmer, he put nine hundred thousand into this Reg D uh, private placement, and it was fraud. Um, 
you know, first off, if you are going to do private placement, don't put the whole thing in in something like that. I mean, you, you know, you you still have the the basic concepts, you know, financial laws, if you will. You know, um, know what you're investing in. The guy the, just didn't want to have to think too hard. You know, they, that that's it. That they just said, okay, this looks good. Let's do it, and he got hosed. That's right. It was it was he he saw it as just a one decision thing, and now I don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, and there's no such thing. No, there really isn't. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and I think the other lesson from that was also that when you uh, find a financial advisor, you have to do your research because in this case, it was the financial advisor that had put him in it. Yeah, the the advisor that put him in it. He oh. had he had a a, a a business interest in the property that was inside of the private placement, um, and then it turned out to be worthless, basically. It, um, so it, it, it's just do your due diligence, um, trust, but verify. A lot of people don't know how to do their due diligence. And, and so therefore you got to start with the premise that any question is not a stupid question. If somebody's telling you that's a stupid question, don't ask it. You immediately should probably go the other direction because you have to be able to ask lots of questions. Sometimes people are afraid to ask questions. So we bring up sometimes when we're sitting with clients questions that we think maybe they ought to ask. And, you know, they either had thought about it or hadn't thought about it or maybe just hadn't thought to ask us. But we'll go ahead and tell them, you know, th these are things you should think about. Yeah. You know, it's transparency. Um, it, we don't expect everybody to know everything and you know we want you, you've got to start building trust at some level and um right transparency honesty it comes across and when you're kind of pulling these questions out of them to ask which you know they may think is uncomfortable for us to answer well it's, it's not i mean because if 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 you don't have anything to hide it's not uncomfortable to answer well the so every question is an okay question. And the, the very things that you think you're afraid to ask the financial advisor ought, probably is the thing you ought to be asking them. That's right. Because you think, you know, I'm going to appear to be uh, rude or pushy or stupid or whatever, or maybe all of the above. And that's the kind of question you need to ask. If you can imagine the question you should ask it. Right, right. And if they blow it off or, like you said, say, well, you shouldn't be asking that question, or they answer it in a way that they're trying to talk over your head intentionally, um, you know, if you, you should be able to ask a certain question. If they give you an answer, ask a question on that. Ask a question on that. Ask five questions yeah. to drill down into your original question, and they should be able to answer that in, in language that you understand. It, it does remind me of one thing, though. We had a guy, and I don't remember who it was, but let's just say he was an engineer. Um, maybe he was an engineer, and he was a prospect, and he would have these reams of questions, and then he would come back and basically be asking the same questions slightly different way. And, you know, finally we said, 
I'm not sure it's getting through, you know. <laughs> and uh, th- we didn't keep talking to the guy because you got to be careful about if you ask your question, make sure it's been answered. You can go back and ask it again a different way, but if you finally get stuck on this treadmill where you're not really getting anywhere, then it's time to probably exit. Uh, Analysis paralysis. Yeah, and this is what this guy did. And let's just say there are certain professions, and I won't say what they are, but that are more given to over-analysis than than right. others and you should you should always resist the urge to overanalyze but you should also resist the urge to underanalyze something too all right you've been listening to the tom dupree show with the darsh mystery mike johnson and our host tom dupree we want to remind you that nothing on this show is a recommendation or buy or sell a security please consult a financial professional Before you do so, we'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the financial hour of the Tom Dupree Show. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us, Adarsh Mashru, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So this is from David Crosby's 1971 album called If I Could Only Remember My Name. David Crosby just passed away this week, actually a couple of days ago, and this song is called Laughing. It's this album... I haven't listened to it in years. And it's called If I Could Only Remember My Name by David Crosby. Which probably meant he was stoned or something, you know. But the the music on it is, he was probably 
29. This album came out 52 years ago. 1971. I mean, that's... I was alive then. It's been 52 years. And I bought, I didn't buy that album, but I knew about it. You know. Yeah. Stuff happens. Anyway. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm what... At that point, I'm... 14. Yeah, 14, 15. I'm like seven years from getting in the bond biz. <laughs> I mean, you can't that imagine tells you somebody just wanted how to buy long you've been in the investment business. The yeah. good thing about bonds, it was a one-decision thing. <laughs> it's the yield, it's the rating. Do you want it or not? Yes. Anyway, that's fine. I don't know. It's just... <laughs> you know, don't don't talk to me about getting old. Um, all right, so what do you guys want to go with here? The Bitcoin thing? The, sure, yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, Darcy, he's going to take the other side of this argument. <laughs> so, Jamie Dimon, who, oh, he wants so bad to be a statesman. I don't know. He likes to, for his opinion to be thought about and talked about so he went on cnbc squawk box you know they're glad to have him ceo of jp morgan and he says that bitcoin itself is a hyped up fraud it's a pet rock well jamie if that's the case what do you think about the u.s dollar (laughs) um now, I'm going to say this about Bitcoin or any other traded item, and I'm not even going to call it a security. It is simply valued based upon what someone will pay for it, and its case is made if the liquidity for it gets deeper and wider because that means that there's more acceptance of it as a real thing. Bitcoin has achieved a level of liquidity by virtue. Well, certainly part of it is being the first one in the space for the longest. And now it's the biggest and has been for years. Okay, he may not like the fact that it is what it is, but in ter- if you compare it to the U.S. dollar, there's not a lot of difference because they're both fiat, and yet Bitcoin itself has already stated that there's only going to be a limited amount of them. We know for a fact that there will always be an unlimited amount of U.S. dollars if the federal government continues to spend and issue bonds, which the Federal Reserve essentially helps to monetize. So, yeah, I understand what he's trying to do, but I, I just think that's not the right way to state it. Yeah, so... Bitcoin is, and I'm not a Bitcoin buyer. I, I probably never will own it. But I, you know, 
I, I just, you're telling a lot of people they're wrong. Right, yeah. So Bitcoin is in its 15th year. Uh, it started really around 2008 uh, in the midst of the financial crisis. When his um, bank was taking TARP. Right. Um, and I think one of the reasons, uh, there are many reasons why Bitcoin has gained traction, you know. Uh, as you said earlier, there is a limit. There will only be 21 million Bitcoins. That's it in the world. Now, really, real quick. So I, I watched the interview and they made that point. You know, there's only so much, 21 million. And he, he came back, he said, well, how do you know on that, when that, he said, supposedly, he said, how do you know when you mine that 21st million Bitcoin, you don't have the guy's face pop up and say, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who, whose word are you taking that there's only 21 million? Yeah. So I, I think that there is an underlying. It's a 22nd uh, million one. <laughs> the way, and if you talk to a cryptography expert, they could probably explain how the, the way it's designed, you know, it just, every, uh, the way it's designed is I think every four years, the number of Bitcoins that are mined uh, have. So you can, if this year you mined a million Bitcoin, then four years from now you can only mine, or over the over the course of four years, if you buy, mine a million Bitcoin, then over the course of the next. So it's a declining yes, balance. Uh, and it peaks at 21 million, and that's how it's designed. Um, one of the differences between uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is that there is it's completely decentralized in that there is no founder. We know who founded Ethereum. We know who founded Solana, Cardano, various other cryptocurrencies. Well, they think that's a Japanese guy who refuses to identify himself. That's just a pseudonym. You know, there's no... Uh, all indications are that the guy was in California, not in Japan. Uh I mean, it could be a Japanese guy in California, but no one knows for sure. Uh, but uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's just a name that they came up with. And, you know, no such person exists as far as we know. Um, and the other, <coughs> bet, um, I guess, uh, property that Bitcoin has, you know, the closest comparison to Bitcoin is perhaps a physical asset like gold. Uh, right. But one difference where there's a limited amount. Yes, there is a limited amount, but there are certain benefits. Uh, and again, I'm not recommending Bitcoin, but just uh, the property of it. One, Bitcoin is a lot easier to store and transport. You know, you can the same. Your Bitcoin could be used in a different country if you're traveling in a different country. So there is no physical storage. Uh, secondly, uh, it's Does easy. Switzerland and Sweden, places like that, do they take Bitcoin? I mean, there are probably businesses and people in those countries that take Bitcoin. Or would you load it onto a card and, and maybe use the card there to, to buy stuff? Or I mean, there are different... The local, you, you, you don't have to load it. You can use your crypto wallet to transfer. It's stored. There are different ways you can store it. Cold storage. Uh, or you can store it on an exchange uh, like Coinbase uh, on their wallet. So and, you, and then you just use your credit card and it draws on your account. Yeah, so or a debit card. Uh, you could do it through various apps. So like Coinbase will allow you to send crypto to a different account. You don't even have to use a card. So if, some, if the other person tells you their ID or whatever, you just send crypto, just like you pay, uh, Venmo. Or, um, but the biggest, another big uh, 
benefit, unlike gold, is that it's easy to verify. So if I took like you know an ounce of gold and just gave it to someone, it would take time for them to verify that it was real, you know, and uh, it wasn't uh, altered in any way. Uh, so, so there are some benefits, and for that reason, Bitcoin's been around as long as it has. Um, and like you said, ultimately, the the value of something is what people are willing to pay for it. So, if people are willing to pay for it and bid it up in price, then you know why not? You know, <clears throat> right? I think many things about Bitcoin, the and I'm going to say this, and I, I've never owned Bitcoin. I don't intend to buy Bitcoin. But there are things about it that are, are just genius. Those very things have perhaps loaned themselves to making it possible for fraud to occur absent a regulated market. And because it is... People that are fraudsters will take advantage of the things that have been done correctly. And with any great uh, advancement, there's going to be a lot of stuff surrounding it that could be kind of dark. And so anyway, I, I, I didn't really want to get totally off. On and, and I think you have to differentiate between Bitcoin and the thousands of other cryptocurrencies that are out there. Uh, right. Anyone can create a crypto, but... Uh, Bitcoin has been around the longest, and there is no person who controls it. Okay. I, I want to talk a little bit about when a target fund, target date fund just doesn't cut it. Now, there are a lot of people out there that I think they operate under a complete misconception that I'm going to retire, let's say, in... Not me, but this person. 2030 in seven years. So I go out and get a 2030 target rate fund, target date fund, which is designed basically to liquidate and have cash the year I retire. Oh, wonderful. Now, what am I going to do? Spend all of it that year? Because I'm getting presented a check. Actually, the misconception is that it's this idea that beyond the target date, you don't need to worry about investing your money. It's just going to roll your money up there on the target date. The way they invest it will make it by nature less able to capture the upside in the market because they're having to have cash. But, and yet people buy these things. They don't think about what's going on with it. And I mean, my gosh, you know, anyway. Yeah. So the, the target date funds, they're <clears throat> set up from the get go based on age. It's just an algorithm based on age. They have what's called a glide path. So as you as you get closer to that target date, say it's twenty forty, that glide path is what it, that that's the mix of stocks and bonds basically, <clears throat> and as it gets closer to that date, the stock portion decreases, bond portion increases. Yeah, 
And so it's all based on age and that date. So what is it not based on? It's not based on market conditions. It's not based on your situation. Your your age is not your situation. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. you've got you've got a lot of different things going on. I mean, there there are people that it contributes to your situation, but it's not all of it. Exactly. Because you might be needing income, you might need growth, you might need this or that. And that's not encompassed in your age or that target date. Right. And so it's it's autopilot. And autopilot all, rarely works in the in this business. Right. And the other thing, if you're it, let's let's say you're young, and this is there's hypothetical scenarios all in all this, but let's say you're young and you pick, you know, uh, uh, it's. 2023 you pick a 2028 target date fund and right. you're in you're 30 years old well your dollar you're still in the accumulation phase your dollar cost averaging right now into bonds <laughs> and, and and so you're losing out on the ability to dollar cost average uh into for for growth and so it it just doesn't make sense it it, it doesn't make sense now i will say Target date funds for somebody, if, if let's say they picked a, a target date that was 25 years out, that's probably better than if they were just putting it in money market. So they, they can serve a purpose, um, but they're, they're misleading because people don't understand, hey, they, 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 their assumption is I'm retiring at this time or I plan on retiring this fund's going to take care of everything in there. There's no active management. It's just based, it's an algorithm based on time, your age, and it just automatically rebalances. Um, and like I said, it doesn't take into account what's going on in the market. Maybe now's not a good time to be owning tech, or maybe it is. Or last year, maybe it was not a good time to be owning tech or long-term bonds or this or that. <coughs> So none of that's taken into account with the target date fund. Um, and unfortunately, we've seen a lot of people um, that have retired with a target date fund. So they have a 401k and they've left it there for X number of years after they retire and they've left it in a, in a target date fund. Um, and they've missed out on a lot of opportunities. Um, so it, it's it's unfortunate, but that's where... You know, we've been able to help people because it's like, hey, here are other options. You know, you're, you're not just limited to this menu of 15 different mutual funds in your 401k. Um, there are other options available to you. Um, so it's good for people to understand what a target date fund is and what it isn't. It is designed for accumulation it's not designed for active management or meeting your particular needs. Yeah, it's the problem is it's it's got a drop dead date on it. Yeah. Where it ceases to function basically. Any investment plan that has a drop dead date on it lacks continuity. It would be like to say our business will cease at this point in time when this thing happens. So everything right. you're planning for that has a longer term to it 
is going to be over with at that thing. You cannot, that's not a real investment plan. Yeah. Investment plans by nature are long-term. They're not time limited to really invest properly. You know, you might as well just put your money in a bond and, and, and with a maturity date at X date, and you're going to get it back and collect some interest during that time. Why would you screw around with a target date fund? Yeah. Why? Because the industry likes to make them. And this is a clear example of where the investment industry creates a product that fills a perceived need. Here's what happens. The tail ends up wagging the dog. People aren't crying out for target rate funds. The industry is telling them you need this. And that's how the thing gets going. Yeah. A lot of other products like that too, by the way. Yeah. It ain't the only one. Well, and to your point, we've talked about on here before, but your money has a long investment life. Yeah, that's what I was just saying. And your money probably has a longer investment life than you have. That's the a good point, because, actually. Because that's mo- a very good point. Hey, I, have I mean, one I, I'm amazed that you came up with that, Mike. <laughs> Thank after you. After all these years, I finally got something. Oh, I can't wait to see what I come up with in ten more years. Yeah, it'll be it's great. Be, oh, I'm waiting around for it. <laughs> no, it's no seriously. But that the, is but true, and people don't think that. They think I'm limited. You know, my money's limited to my life. Right. That's crazy. It, it's that's it, most. Hopefully not true. Yeah. If that is true, then you've got a problem. Well, you're playing chicken. Yeah. Because the bottom line is, what are you going to do first? Run out of money or run out of life? Exactly. You know? So your money, even if you're 70 years old, may have a 50-year investment horizon. Yeah. Um, so don't invest purely based on age. Look at what no. your situation is. Look That's at a very good point. Look at what the market's giving you, what it's not giving you. Not just based on your age. Because if you're not investing your money, somebody else is going to be. But, yeah. You know, that's how it's going to happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, you. the way to invest properly is to look out and make informed decisions, realizing there's going to be volatility up and down, but r- keep your eye kind of on the goal of where you're going. That's right. That is why it never hurts to have another set of eyes on your portfolio. We'd love to take a look. You can give us a call at 859-233-0400. And we'd love to schedule an appointment to give you an opinion on your portfolio. Those are complimentary and you're under no obligation, of course. Also, we recognized last week that we had a lot of technical difficulties. If you want to listen to the episodes from last week, you can find them on the website at dupreefinancial.com under the radio tab. And they are not messed up on the website. That was completely LAP, and we apologize for that. We'll be back in the next hour. We're going to be doing a little bit of musical um, reviews or talk about... David Crosby and Jeff Beck. Stay tuned.